Hi there, you're listening to the Venture Builder Map podcast. My name is Andries de Vos. I'm the co-founder of Slash, a Singapore-based venture builder. Every week, I come together with brilliant minds to talk about how venture building is changing the way startups are incubated and corporate innovation is evolving. Corporate venture building is hailed as one of the most effective ways for large corporates to reinvent their companies, their industries, and the way their teams work. In this episode, we will explore the corporate venture building landscape in the Spanish-speaking world. Our guest today is Ignacio Gabaldon, who leads iGeneris Ventures, a corporate venture builder with offices in Spain and Mexico. Besides helping clients to build corporate startups, iGeneris recently started building its own ventures. Ignacio works closely with a consulting team to identify market opportunities and incubate in-house solutions that can be commercialized with industry partners. Thank you so much for joining us on the Venture Builder Map podcast, Ignacio. How did you decide to go for consulting corporates build ventures? Because you guys have been around for, for 10 years or so. 10 years ago, this was not very common to do. The idea of, of building a corporate startup, I think, has only become a little bit more mainstream, quote unquote, in the last two, three years. Before that, it was all part of sort of the corporate innovation game. But corporate innovation typically meant building internal R&D projects that were not commercialized, but were just embedded inside an organization. Whereas if I understand correctly, what you're doing is literally corporate venture building, where you're helping corporates then create an entire new product or service line, spin it up as a separate brand or a separate subsidiary with its own management team, its own, uh, its own governance structure. Uh, I think this comes from, from the founder of iGeneris a bit more than 10 years ago. Um, they come from the corporate world and working for big corporations. They found out they needed to, to grow their business lines, needed to grow. The only thing they could do to make these uh, business lines grow was actually to innovate and not innovate in some R&D project that's going to come out in five or 10 years. They needed to do something different. They needed new business models. They needed new ventures. They needed new startups. They found out that businesses needed this. They decided to, to launch a company in Spain with it's not probably the most mature market in Europe or even in the world to do these kind of things, especially 10 years ago. They decided it was the time to start doing this thing in Spain. They tell us this was pretty hard. It was pretty hard work at the beginning to actually convince the companies what we were going to do and what we wanted to do. It was not a matter that they did not trust us. It's just that it sounded strange to them many times. Like, you're going to be build ventures for us. This is not R&D. We have our own innovation team that is actually doing many things. So it was quite rough at the beginning. The first five years were tough. And I have to, to thank uh, uh, Jose Lopez, who is, uh, who is one of the founders of iGeneris, to do all this way at the beginning. We started on that part because we come from the corporate world. Probably if one of the founders of iGeneris was an entrepreneur who had sold a, a company for 50 million euros, maybe we have started in another, in, in another way. We are right now, I think, in the middle between the, the entrepreneur and the corporate. Uh, we come from the corporate and we're getting closer to entrepreneur, but we were on the corporate side for the, for the first years and we are shifting towards the middle right now. And I'm pretty sure you can tell more about the, how, this, how this model works in, in other parts of Europe and other more mature markets. In Spain, it has changed for the last years has changed a lot. Um, big companies are actually uh, entering the Spanish market. But I think the first five years, we were pretty much alone on this, on this battle in Spain. You guys have come from a from a consulting led model and you're now exploring the second pillar of more of an operator led model that is almost a different culture and different skill set 
people that are good at consulting are not necessarily good at entrepreneurship. They could be, they could have the same, like the similar kind of, or the good skill sets for it, but they don't necessarily have to be. So how do you guys think about building your talent pool? And I know that you're the one leading sort of more the operators side of things. How do you think about this in your model? We for sure have changed with the market. 10 years ago, probably was pretty hard to find a job offer in Spain looking for a CFO or a COO, a CEO. And right now you can go on LinkedIn and you can see a few of them or maybe a country manager, startups that want to go to Spain. That didn't happen, I think, 10 years ago. I am aware that some people in Igenerist, 10 years ago, do you know what a startup was? Because that was not a popular word in, in, in Spain at the time. Now everyone talks about startups, venture, venture building, but uh, 10 years ago, it was pretty hard to find that. So the talent we raised at the beginning it was more focused on, on this services part, on this con innovation consulting, but people that had interest in, in building things, probably people that like to work for a, for a corporate client, but they just don't want to do paper, as we say here. Like, we just want, you want to do something else than paper. You don't want the project to end in a PowerPoint presentation or, or, a, um, or a speech. You want to do something else. You want to have users. You want to have digital product. I think that shift came a little bit with, with the clients we had at the time. At the beginning, clients wanted paper. They wanted ideas. They wanted that first step of the creating pro of the creative process, and then we managed to convince clients that well, paper is just part of the way. It's, it's definitely not the goal to have that paper stuck in your in your office at some point. We made the clients aware that. We had to go one step further and we started testing the ideas. We started building small websites and actually the team started to, to acquire those skills. The team we had at the time, we were only about seven or eight people. The team started to acquire the skills, looking at courses on the internet, talking to people. Uh, it was mostly self-taught, I would say. After that, we saw about three or four years ago that m many people were actually wanted, wanting to acquire these skills. Clients were aware that they needed something else in that process. They wanted to go a bit further and it was kind of natural for the team we had at the beginning actually those seven eight people that were when i when i came to henry to i generate five or six years ago uh most of them are still in the company most of us evolved to in the roles we play compared to the ones that we did at the beginning i think the talent is is just different now from what it was 10 years ago the i generous proposal for new graduates is more appealing i would say than 10 years ago we are cultivating the skills that Everyone is talking about innovation, creativity, uh, things about no code, uh, that being on the edge of technology and also product, but also business. Uh, I would say that culture shift has come from the, from the market working with our clients. We have pushed them a little bit, but they have pushed us also a little bit on that side. We have cultivated the, the skills in house and also it's, it's easier to recruit this kind of talent now than it was 10 years ago. There's more competence, of course, and many people want this talent. But I think 10 years ago, we were not using the right tags and um, using the right, the tag no code 10 years ago. I don't know if it actually existed. I don't know what are your thoughts on this. And maybe you've worked in different markets and, and, the, and the story is different. But I've really seen like this has developed really fast in Spain in the, in the last years. Yeah, I think it's a similar story in Singapore uh, and in Southeast Asia. Singapore is a bit more ahead of the rest of the market and uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, but it's a similar story and I've seen similar parallels in, um, in other parts of Europe and Middle East where the idea of having talent that can straddle, that can bridge the worlds of business, design, product and tech is emerging. And that the, the notion that, that innovation requires to actually go end to end, both in terms of the R&D, but also the commercialization is coming up. And there's more and more frameworks that 
that help people, consulting frameworks almost, that help people think about how to unbundle a startup end-to-end. And once you think of once you think of it in terms of a process with checkpoints, clear checkpoints with, with ways to measure it and stage gates that says let's go or let's not go, it becomes easier to execute, at, especially in a context of a corporate environment where you still need to do reporting to the higher ups or to the mothership and you just need to facilitate a group of people through those checkpoints. And your paycheck does not depend on that risk level taking that a grassroots entrepreneur does. So from mm-hmm. corporate venture building, I definitely think things are moving very quick. From a grassroots entrepreneurship side, things have moved from a very different direction, I think. It's more from the side of a lot of capital abundance available now. And a lot of the frameworks around grassroots entrepreneurship are readily available on you know, Lean Startup and, and other books that have been around now for seven, eight years and have really created a new movement around how to think about risk-taking. But I think the skills that are required to take risk, risk from a point of view of not knowing whether you can pay your bills at the end of the month, mm-hmm. that level of entrepreneurial risk, I think, is still something that is it's glorified by a lot of you know people trying to become entrepreneurs. But in practice, I still think it's a different skill set than the skill set of, of being an intrapreneur within an existing venture builder or within an existing company where you build a new service line. That entrepreneurship skill, I think, is more about um, stakeholder management and consulting skills uh, and leadership and you know management skills rather than being resilient when you have nothing mm-hmm. and you have to build something with a cold start problem when there's nothing and you have a cold start and you have to somehow make it warm. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, when I'm interviewing people to, to come into the team, I think the aspirations they have is one of the, the key questions that we ask. And you can see on, on which part of the table they want to sit, right? I think it's not the same, the people that want to pursue a career in consulting, the people that actually say when they're 22 years old, they say, I, I want to launch my own business. I don't know how it was a few years ago, but right now I'm coming across many young people that actually say, I'm interested in this job, but my dream is to launch my own company at some point. I don't know if it will be in three years, 10 years, maybe they'll never do it. But I think that's one of the things we're seeing here. When you're applying for a job, many people are saying, all right, I'm going to learn a lot here on this venture uh, builder, this corporate venture builder, or even BC. But my goal is to actually launch a company at some point. I think that kind of talent is good in general because there are people who want to change things. They want to build things. I am not pretty sure how they're going to fit in, in the model we are in, in the when you have to lead with a client, when you have to, to be in touch with a client all the time. I think this this kind of the, the mentality is quite different for those people. Probably for us, that's the main shift where you can position people in in one side or the other one. There's there's not a good side anyway. We can say here, huh? and we we're trying to find someone who's actually in the middle because you need to know how to talk to your investors, to to the VC, or maybe to the corporate at some point. I'm seeing that there's a shift there, and there's a change for people that come out for university and they want to say, I want to launch my own company. I'm looking for a job because I think it's not the time now, but I want to launch my own company. I think there is more and more capitalized venture builders emerging that are trying to do a number of things at the same time well. What's emerging now is, is designed venture builders that say, you know, within a year, we need to be extremely good at, let's say, access, IDs, and founder and capital, or ID founder, capital, operational support, right? And there is, or even all five. And usually those models require a huge amount of capital and leverage. Either capital because they happen to be the founder of that model, you know, has is willing to deploy significant sums of money, 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars to kind of make it work, or because they have a leverage, they set up a fund 
of 100 million, 200 million and decide, you know what, we're going to tackle a problem uh, or a problem space. The problem space can be um, climate change or the problem space can be energy or Web3. And in that space, I think there is now a lot of really interesting opportunities emerging, um, which have, I think, slightly different characteristics perhaps than how Slash or iGeneris were set up, which were, I think, more organically set up and, and, and grew organically and evolved organically. But, but on that note, how you describe sort of your, the strength of, um, or, uh, of iGeneris in IDs and Founders is kind of an interesting one, because I would have thought that if you are very good at, at, at identifying market gaps, you could have a significant opportunity to, to take a position where you say, we will solve that gap, perhaps with one client or two clients or three clients, or perhaps by creating a coalition of clients that are trying to solve that problem. So I don't know if you can speak more about how you have thought about this, because at some point you mentioned to me that you are primarily looking for a, for a fee-based model, working with one-on-one clients. Isn't there somewhere an opportunity for you to decide to tackle things systemically, saying, let's solve transport, uh, electrification of transport in Spain, as an example. Let's solve smart grids in Spain. Each of those problems require multiple players to come together and, and, and work together with you. Sitting at the same table, different companies who are actually competitors at some point, is many times not easy. Um, you obviously have crossed interest. Um, there is also a line interest of USA, for example, the, in the transport sector in Spain about the electrification of the network. But there are also many cross interests at that some point. That's an interesting issue also. What, what role does the venture builder play here? Is just the facilitator of this happening? Is actually uh, leading all these new venture or joint venture, as, as we might call it? I would say that capital at that point is, is pretty important. I mean, if you would raise... Maybe a small fund, and later you would sit people at the table to actually talk about one topic and trying to solve a, a specific issue. It's going to be easier. If you're a small venture builder, you are working on a fee model with different competitors in the same table, you're not holding the powerful position at that point. You need them, and, and they need you, of course, but you cannot say, we're going, this, we're going to do this in this way. I think there's an opportunity to do that, for sure. I find it hard and slow and maybe are not patient enough at some point to do it but but we've tried we've some things have turned out correctly other things is just it's not that they didn't work it actually didn't go through so that's the thing we sit people at the table everything seemed pretty well but finally you see the the that the idea doesn't go through because the interests are maybe not aligned or all the, the things you want to do are, are just different. At that part, it's not only the idea and the market validation, it's also the position you want to play in that, in that table. Of course, capital plays a crucial role at that side. You are now building your own venture. So what's your thesis? What's your strategy? What kind of themes or verticals are you focusing on? What are the checkpoints in your venture building process, uh, both in terms of how much capital you kind of prepare or risk you're prepared to take? What resources do you, are you prepared to put in versus are you getting, are you outsourcing to get into the model? So essentially what's, what's your model on the, on building your own ventures? We started with this model about a year ago, actually coming from the other model. Once again, we agree with this, with this organically. As I say, we want to focus on the things we 
we believe we do better on the on the corporate venture model is actually spotting the right opportunities, market gaps, and converting that into ideas and validating those ideas. That's the thing we're we're stronger in. With this model, basically what we want to do, we're not focused right now in any specific sector, but it comes from the sectors we have higher expertise. We're good in, in the mobility sector. We have also experience in the energy sector. So we're trying to build ventures, not specifically in one sector. If we have knowledge about companies, we have knowledge about how the market goes, about the trends, of course, we are going to use it and we want to build ventures on, on that space. Our aspirations is actually to do that part really well, have the small number of failures as possible in that part, which is crucial for us. When we have validated the ideas, we want to incorporate the, the, the new funding team. So we are the kind we're actually the funding team at the beginning. We spotted the idea. We did the, the validation of the market. But when we've seen that there is a business here, we want to incorporate the talent. We want to incorporate people who are pretty good in one business, in one sector, sorry, that have experience in that sector that want to change, that want to do something different with their lives. They don't want to work on the corporate side. They want to start a business. They are kind of starting a business here because we're giving them support and we have started the, few, the, the first steps with them. Those are people that want to do something different. And they have a, a long trajectory on the, the sector, but they say, all right, I've been working in the automotive sector for 10 years. I want to do something else, but I want to, I want to capitalize the, the knowledge I have uh, to start a business. As I was saying before, and because we're organically, we want to start validating the ideas uh, ourselves and we want to to incorporate all the we work incorporate the funding team sometimes one person maybe two people it depends on the venture we want to do our ambition here is to keep on building building ventures and to keep on refining the model we believe we have kind of a framework more than a model but every startup is different from the other one because the sectors are different because the people are different because the time is different the two startups we have right now in the market they're in the same stage right now more or less but they're completely different one from another one in everything we can say so when we talk about we have a model i think we have a path and we have a framework but are you looking at a certain investment in your checkpoints saying you're prepared to put in six months of time with a team of two people, up to 50 to 150K cash, for example, in two, three stage gates. Is that how you think about it? Or yeah. you every startup is different in that, in that respect as well? We think in terms of time, mainly, maybe around six to nine months to actually spot the idea and validate the idea, hire the new funding team and do this uh, introduction to the business, to what everything we've been doing. We would say about six to nine months. We would love it to be six months, obviously. Every time they go slower than you expect. We don't talk in terms of cash because that really depends on if it's, this is a B2B company, it's a B2C company, you need to invest heavily on marketing. That really depends. We're trying to combine both or different ventures to looking at the PNL. If you want to, to validate three ideas that are marketing intensive in the same year for nine months, that's going to cost a lot of money. If you want to do something on the on the B two B spectrum, mostly you're 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 paying for the for the salaries of the of the selling team and not the marketing. Sometimes is is at least cheaper or at least more secure. That really depends. But we've seen at six to nine months mainly. To, to spot the idea, validate the venture, and have the hiring the, the funding team hired. We are supporting those operations, at least for now. But as I was saying before, maybe having funds uh, in the future changes that, and we can start doing the things um, in a different way. But right now, 
we're supporting those six to nine months at the beginning with the teams and then looking for funding with them. And how is the reception? How has the reception been by the market? I mean, you come from a from a background of ten plus years of corporate venture building as Igenaris. So how is that being perceived? Do you feel that these corporates might feel threatened by you because they feel you have certain certain competitive insights? Or do you actually feel that they are welcoming you because they feel that you are solving a real pain, a real pain for them? And same question in a way for investors. Are investors seeing this as a bonus that you are that you have a studio behind that can provide a lot of central resources, or they're seeing this as a potential risk because your the team that initiated the idea, including yourself, are perhaps not going to be full time on it anymore afterwards? On the first one, I think there are plenty of ideas, plenty of projects that be that can be carried out. I don't see corporates threatened by us on that aspect. We are obviously 10, 20, 50 times smaller than any corporate we work with. So I would see them as potential partners farther ahead on the road. Obviously not at the beginning, because if we're doing so, we're back in the other model. But I see one of the of our, of our clients being an investor in the third fourth year of the company. I see them as partners, not only as investors, but actually working with them or, be, or, or even as one of the clients we might have in that startup. I see that corporates, if you can solve them an issue they are having, sometimes it's, it's as good to, to build a venture with them than actually to build a venture without them and serving them as, as a client. So I don't think that's a that's a threat that they feel they are being threatened for us. The second part is a pretty interesting topic and I don't have an answer for that one yet. How the funds are seeing us actually having this uh, vent- corporate venture building and actually venture building working at the same time. I feel the spectrum is huge. I mean, you have business angels, you have family office, you have formal BCs. We are actually accessing uh, uh, one of those layers before, probably uh, uh, family offices and business angels, but we're still small, as I told you. So the tickets we're, we're uh, looking for are small. We're going to, to raise money from venture capital, hopefully anytime soon. That's probably going to raise an issue and I, I have not the answer for that one yet. I believe that the first answer is going to be, I don't like this model because I believe the um, when an analyst, an analyst in, a, in a venture capital is, is screening the projects, if you don't follow the rules, there is kind of maybe not a red flag, uh, maybe a yellow flag at some point. So, you know, right, this is not the typical startup I'm actually screening I'm I'm looking for. But I think if you have a good idea, you have a good team, you have good metrics and you have a good roadmap, I think everything is possible. The market is maturing a little bit here. Three to five years ago, it was hard to see a venture capital investing in a venture raised by a corporate venture builder or a venture builder. Right now, it's more common because we have proven that this path works. Ignacio, this is a great chat. Thank you so much for joining us on the VBMAP podcast. Thank you for listening. If you found this discussion valuable and don't want to miss any future episodes, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, search for the VBMAP podcast and subscribe.